broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. June 6th, 1944, what some historians consider the single most important day of the 20th century. An attack that had been planned for more than a year involving 150,000 Allied soldiers coming from 12 different countries. Operation Overlord began on this day 75 years ago with D-Day. As Allied troops participated in the largest seaborne invasion in the history of mankind, landing on five beaches, Utah, Gold, Juno, Sword, and Omaha. Their landings were supported by airborne Troops who were dropped in numbers over 13,000, 11,000 aircrafts, aircraft, <laughs> and 5,000 different ships. Upon landing, the Allies were immediately uh, met with thousands of German soldiers dug into high ground barracks and bunkers with 150 millimeter machine guns ready to cut them down as soon as they stepped foot off the boat. Even if they survived that initial gunfire, they encountered heavily fortified obstacles, including barbed wire, metal tripods, wooden stakes, landmines. But the Allies pressed on. Estimations are 10,000 Allied casualties, with over 4,400 confirmed dead. And yet the Allies pressed on. Between 4,000 and 9,000 Nazi troops were killed, and by the end of the evening, the Germans were in retreat. The Allies had established control of uh, the area, and the invasion of Normandy resulted in a decisive Allied victory and would set the stage for the end of the war a year later. Today, all across the world, and most specifically in Europe, D-Day is being remembered. President Trump was in England yesterday as many of the festivities uh, began uh, in, I believe it was in Portsmouth, where the Allied offensive began. He is in France today uh, on the beaches of Normandy. And he said to those who were there, you are the pride of our nation, to those who had served, who had, who had been a part of this landing. He said, you are the pride of our nation, you are the glory of our republic, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. French President Macron praised the unthinkable courage and generosity of the soldiers, the strength of spirit that made them help men and women they didn't know to liberate a land most hadn't seen before for no other cause but freedom and democracy. America is an incredible place. Our history is imperfect. 
by any means. But boy, the world would be a very, very different place today if not for the United States of America. D-Day veterans have remembered uh, the invasion. Irving Locker landed on Utah Beach. And he said, quote, It's terrifying, and believe me when I tell you, when we were in the Higgins boat coming in, the long life that we thought we were going to have could be shortened very, very fast because of the bullets that were coming at us. Today he still carries the knife that he had with him every day during the war. He said, freedom is not free. There were a lot of people that gave their lives, millions of people gave their lives, so that they, the children today, could be free. Tom Rice, a 97-year-old uh, paratrooper, participated in the 75th anniversary by jumping again on Wednesday. He was a member of the 501 Parachute Infantry Revenant 101st Airborne Division and the first to jump from his C-47 in the early morning hours of June 6, 1944, near Utah Beach in Normandy. He said, I saw a hurricane of fire coming up from German positions below. This is all microseconds that is going by my mind so fast that I'm not even wondering. I don't know. I left I left sort of the microsecond activity behind and thinking of someone else. He fought on the ground in Normandy for more than a month and said, by the time we moved through 37 days of combat in Normandy and then jumped in Market Garden and then in Bastogne, we, for the most part, were pretty well thinned out. I think out of 128 guys, we had less than 90. He was injured in combat four times, later receiving a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star. Eugene Doc Dibler made the jump into Normandy the morning of June uh, 6th. He was just 19 years old. He said, we were wanting to get out of the plane. You are anxious. You know, you could get killed up there. And two of our planes got in our, two of our planes in our echelon got shot down and lost all the men in G Company. And I had been in G Company when I first went in. The veteran said he remembered that he had a good landing that many of his fellow jumpers had drowned or were shot after landing in trees. He said, we landed in a field beside a three-story building, a chalet or some kind of big building, and there was a guard on the gate there, German, and it was a German headquarters, and the guy shot at our colonel, and he took out his forty-five and killed him, and that was my first experience with that. Now 94 years old, Mr. Diebler returned to Normandy for the first time for this celebration, and he said, the 75th will be the last, maybe the 75th will be the last celebration, and that's another reason I want to go. It might be the last one because most of us will be gone in the next five years. He also says that he's not a hero. We're not heroes, really. The heroes are all gone. They're the ones that got killed. What these brave men did for our country and for the world... Which, by the way, if you want to hear more about their stories, many of these men, many different news outlets have... I've been interviewing them in an approach to the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings. Uh, those ones were from uh, NBC News. But so many young men never went home. Heroes. 
Other young men went home, their lives forever changed. They fought for people they'd never met in a place they'd never seen. For a cause, for an idea. The idea that all people everywhere deserve a chance at life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And so we remember them today. President Franklin D. Roosevelt uh, had issued a prayer following his announcement about the D-Day invasion, and I posted that online yesterday. You can go in and see it if you're on Facebook or Twitter. Just look for me at The Friddle. I'd encourage you to listen to that today. Listen to it with your kids. Remember what happened on this day. And I've said it earlier this week, but if you have uh, the longest day, or if you have a library that has the longest day, it's a, it's a good overview without being overly graphic uh, much detail as to the different beaches and paratroopers and, and crickets. And if you don't know what crickets were on D-Day, uh, you will. Um, just so, so much. It's a good, it's a good overview. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a decent movie. I don't necessarily recommend you watch it with your younger children and you may want to watch it before, uh, anyone in your, in, of your children watch it, but it's a good, uh, it's a good summary of the events of that day. All right. Um, we are going to take a, a quick break just to kind of transition us into our next uh, topic because we're going to completely uh, change gears. So stay with us. We'll return in just a few moments. All right. So we are going to completely uh, switch gears here now and uh, and talk about some other things related to the world of politics. And then we're going to have just a, a fun time chatting with a man named Paul uh, Assay. And, uh, and and I'll talk tell you a little bit about what we're going to be discussing with him in a few minutes. It's, it was something that took me completely by surprise, actually, but uh, was a lot of fun. Hopefully you will... You will think so, um, but hey, if you uh, if you listen regularly, even if this is your first time uh, listening, I have a special uh, prayer request. My house that I'm currently in is uh, is on the market today, and it would just be awesome if God would give us a miracle and let this thing sell this weekend. I have another house that uh, an offer was accepted on that we're going to be, and by we I mean my dogs and my brother and I. Uh, but that deal is contingent on my house selling. Um, and we need it to sell fast. Because there's a date in place that if we're not under contract, we lose our option there. And it's uh, it's not this weekend, but it's not far off. And for me, you know, this weekend would just be ideal um, because there's a group of us from Liberty Singles class who are headed out of the country in less than three weeks. So more like less than two and a half now. Uh, so the more that we can get done before I leave the country, obviously, the better. Um, so please, if you would, just add my house selling this weekend to your prayer list. I would appreciate that so much, and I uh, look forward to sharing with you next week how your prayers have been answered. Um, and you're like, well, how can you say that? What if it doesn't sell? Well, if it doesn't sell, then that was God's answer, or God's answer was either wait or no. So we'll have an answer to your prayers one way or another, but uh, I'd appreciate it if you would just add that uh, to your list over the next few days. So Bernie Sanders apparently thinks that it's racist to question his wealth and lack of redistribution thereof, given his socialist mindset. And Joe Biden is way up in a semi-important poll. 
so here's the thing. Bernie Sanders is making a boatload of money. Like a boatload of money. Um, according to campaign returns, Sanders and his wife, their bottom line, was in the year 2015, $240,000. Now that's a lot of money, but you know I wouldn't necessarily call it a, a boatload. A year later, now worth over, or well, not now, but at, in 2016, worth over $1 million. Um, here's the thing, though. The same returns show us that of the family's income... A great portion of which is coming from writing and royalties based on his uh, his being propelled to the front of socialist, uh, uh, you know, celebration here in this country. But uh, Bernie Sanders, according to his tax returns, paid 26% of his income in taxes. A 26% rate. Now, if you look at the amount of money that Bernie Sanders brought in, and you look at the percentage of that that he paid in taxes, there is a very glaring truth. To make the amount of money that he made and pay just a 26% tax rate means that Bernie Sanders is claiming deductions. A lot of them. As in maximizing them. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I believe in maximizing deductions. I think that's awesome. But when you are standing up telling everyone that you need to be spreading your wealth around if you are wealthy and that you should be paying more and that you're not paying your fair share of taxes and that millionaires in this country should be doing more and paying more and we need to get rid of deductions, well then, uh, you kind of need not be hypocritical about that. Because you're clearly not actually... If, if you consider your fair share as being more than, you know, maximizing your deductions, then Bernie Sanders is not uh, following his own rules. And when it was pointed out that perhaps the questioning of a socialist's wealth and the maximizing of tax deductions by someone who says that the wealthy shouldn't be taking them, uh, Bernie Sanders responded to that by saying that uh, it's anti-Semitic to question his um, wealth. Here's the thing, though. Bringing up the fact that this guy is paying this amount in taxes or the fact that he has uh, three houses is not anti-Semitism. It is quite simply anti-hypocritism, if you will. This is, this is, by the way, why socialism is a bad idea. Because socialists stand up and talk about other people's money. But what they say about other people's money does not apply to their money. It just applies to your money. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is leading President Trump by double digits in a new poll in the battleground state of North Carolina. The Emerson College survey finds Biden ahead of Trump uh, by 12 points, 
54% to 46%. Meanwhile, Mayor Pete also leads among voters, likely voters in the state, by 58 to 48%. Elizabeth Warren ties with the president at 50%, and up against Kamala Harris, the president would win 51 to 49 if the election were held today. You may remember that the president carried North Carolina in 2016 by about three and a half points over Hillary Clinton. Democrats are really targeting the state this year because they believe uh, that this is a, a state that they can flip and some electoral college votes they can gain uh, in the 2020 election. Now, North Carolina has voted for the GOP nominee in every election since 1980, except for 2008, uh, where President Obama won by half a percentage point. So I don't think it would be as large as a 12-point gap. I think that is a, that is, that is a pipe dream uh, for Democrats, but I believe that somebody has some potential here. I think this is a good uh, this is a good place for Democrats to be focusing. It's also probably why Republicans are going to be holding their nominating convention next year in Charlotte. The president's approval rating in North Carolina is low compared to the rest of the country. And, of course, those, uh, those, um, those electoral college votes will be crucial to the president's re-election efforts. So, North Carolina... Keep an eye on it. Nevada as well, although I, I think that Democrats uh, are probably um, probably safe here in Nevada. Meanwhile, though, uh, <laughs> though Democrats seem to have an upper hand in certain states, their coalition is is on shaky ground right now. As the abortion debate heats up, as more and more things come to light, just saw an article uh, early this morning, one of the first things I saw when I woke up, and it just made me absolutely sick. I can't even really talk about it, but I, essentially there is an undercover video now of uh, some individuals, um, I don't even know how to describe it, they're, uh, they are, I, I can't, I can't. I'm not gonna. There might be kids listening, so I'm not gonna talk about it. But they're 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 playing with um, uh, the bodies of aborted babies, and the it's just it's it's gruesome and it's disgusting, and in the abortion debate is just front and center right now. And the more this goes on, uh, the more it's forcing people to have to pick a side, and the more things like this video are coming to light that demonstrate how horrific and gruesome abortion and, and specifically partial birth abortion is and late-term abortion is. And it's it's making people see that this is not just a clump of cells. This is a baby. This is a human life. And it's really making we as a culture determine whether or not we actually value life. And Democrats who are already having a, 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 a civil war, if you will, over the role of socialism in their party's platform, are, uh, are about to take a, a new direction because they're talking about um, purging anti-abortion lawmakers from their ranks. 
This has come about because Governor John Bell Edwards in Louisiana, one of the few outspoken pro-life Democrats currently uh, on a on a in the in, in the national eye, signed um, some abortion restrictions into law in in Louisiana, which made Democrats, particularly those running for the presidential nomination, uh, very upset. Senator Elizabeth Warren said Governor Edwards' decision is dangerous and we will fight it. Speaker Nancy Pelosi called the bill heartbreaking, Bernie Sanders labeled it draconian, and Kamala Harris called his decision outrageous. But he's up for re-election. He is a rare rarity, uh, being a Democratic governor in the Deep South. Most are Republicans. Senator Kristen Gillibrand said that Democrats should be 100% pro-choice and it should be non-negotiable. Hmm. Um, I, could, I could go on with other quotes, but I'm not going to for the sake of time. But there is this, there is this undercurrent right now in the Democratic Party to... Uh, to stifle and squelch those who would be in the Democratic Party but pro-life. And I think that if Democrats choose to make a very hardcore or take a very hardcore position on this issue that it could backfire easily. I mean, if you start pushing this purge of pro-lifers from the Democratic Party, especially if they become overly vocal about this, I don't think it will actually go well for them. I mean, there are many, many blue counties across this country that vote Democrat, but are filled uh, with pro, with life supporters. So the, the two, though it may seem to some of us um, as being unthinkable, there are many Democrats who are pro-life. And you might not be able to equate the two, but it, it is it is a possibility. In fact, it is a very big possibility. For example, there's a, a large area, uh, Allegheny County, um, around the Pittsburgh area in Pennsylvania, teeming with pro-life Catholic Democrats. And it's not the only place in the country, and of course Pennsylvania is a battleground state. So I don't know how many pro-life Catholic Democrats you've met, but they're usually pretty awesome people, and they're pretty solid on the life issue in general. And I think that if Democrats push this, uh, you will not be pro-life if you are a Democrat issue, I believe that they risk shooting a hole inside of their potentially already sinking ship. Um, so I don't know. I don't think, I don't think that this... This push is going to go anywhere fast, and I think if they keep pushing it, uh, it, it may backfire on them. But we shall see. Time will tell. All right, we're going to take a real quick break, uh, and then we have Paul say He's going to be on the program. We are going to be talking with him about Endgame. This guy, such a good sport. Uh, we recorded this interview a couple days ago. Uh, because that's when our schedule's allowed. And uh, and I failed epically because there was some miscommunication with the scheduler, and I thought I was talking to a completely different person about a completely different subject. And, uh, you know, he called in, and we started talking, and I realized this is not this is not what I was expecting at all. And so, you know, just a real good sport. Um, 
<laughs> he is a uh, he is a comic book and movie uh, ultra nerd, and he would be totally okay with me saying that because he is self proclaimed. Um, and he has written some really incredible articles about how uh, you can use the lessons of 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 different movies and and things that our culture embraces that you know may not be Christian per se but that they have uh, redeemable qualities and he has just written some really interesting articles uh, so we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about Endgame and we are going to talk about some of the things that we can learn uh, from from Marvel movies and different things and we're just going to have a, a fun a fun conversation so I hope that you will enjoy this uh, as much as we did but just again bear in mind. This guy's just being a very good sport because I had no idea that I was talking to him or what we were talking about. So we just kind of made it up as we went along, and uh, and this is this is what you get. So <laughs> hope you'll enjoy it. If you have not seen Endgame yet and you are a Marvel fan, I would encourage you turn off the radio or the podcast, whichever it is you're listening to right now, because uh, there are all the spoilers ahead in just a few moments. All right. Here we go. We're going to quick break and Paula say, don't go away. And welcome back. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. I am so excited today. We have with us Paul Asi. He is a writer and reviewer over at uh, Plugged In for Focus on the Family, as well as an author. Now get this now. He wrote a book, God in the Streets of Gotham. If you thought Batman wasn't spiritual... <laughs> think again. So, uh, Paul, welcome. Great to have you with us. I think I mispronounced your last name the first time I introduced you. You said it's AC, like AC. Correct. AC. Just think AC and it's perfect. AC. AC. Yeah. And this is a problem I've had ever since childhood. You don't want to know how my name was pronounced in third grade. So I can. Yeah. Uh, I don't even. You yeah, can imagine. We won't. We just won't talk about that. It'll be fine. Uh, but you can find him on Twitter at AC Paul. It's A A S A Y Paul, like the apostle, on Twitter. And and really, I mean, I feel that your Twitter feed does resemble the apostle Paul's. I think if Paul was with us today, he <laughs> would be talking about the cultural issues that you address on Twitter. I, I just think that it would be that way. That is the nicest thing anyone has ever said about my Twitter feed. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. I have that. no doubt. I can let you know what my Venmo account is later. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you, I, I stumbled across your works. Um, obviously, I've heard you on, we, we air plugged in on our station every day. So, I've heard you many times on Plugged In, but I didn't even realize that you wrote about other stuff besides what happened on Plugged In until I got an email a few weeks ago. And uh, a, a mutual acquaintance of ours was like, this guy writes about this stuff. And so I started Googling this stuff. And I was like, oh, this man is into Marvel and comics. And you wrote all about Endgame. And I I was like, I need to get to know this person. Um, <laughs> so I've found that working in radio gives me an opportunity to get to know cool people by by putting it under the guise of, hey, do you want to be on radio? But really, it's just I just want to talk to you. So welcome <laughs> to the program. I'm so excited to be here. You know, anytime <laughs> I get to talk about superheroes and spirituality and how the two go together, this is, this is stuff I really love geeking out about, you know? So yeah. I'm kind of a fan. And, it, and there's a lot of really interesting wrinkles to explore with these things, you know? So, and, and a lot of people don't necessarily 
go to these movies in order to to have some. Uh, of course, they don't go to have some great spiritual revelation. But but it is interesting how many themes come back in, into some of these movies, and it's it's pretty fascinating. It really is. And I'm just going to preface this with: if you haven't seen Endgame yet, if you are one of those people, or you're waiting for it to come out on Redbox or something, or Disney Plus or whatever. Um, you probably don't want to listen for the next like 20 minutes, okay? Because we're we're gonna talk about Endgame, and uh, it's gonna be spoiled for you uh, because you, it's been out for what at least three weeks now. So I feel that uh, you know if the director of the movie says spoiler ban has been lifted, that we can now talk about this. Is that <laughs> is yeah. that fair? Like I, th- I think it's okay no, for us I to think talk that's about. Absolutely fair. All right. It's absolutely fair. All right. So I want to start with uh, you wrote an article about. Um, how everything that you need to know about life you learned from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. First of all, yes. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of a bold statement, isn't it? It, it I, is. I, it is. I feel like yeah. in the realms of Christendom, there there could be some question there. So, can you explain this to us a little bit? <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, there could be. You know, and, and and I have to I have to preface this by saying. You know, it's not as if I came into these movies sort of this this game world not knowing exactly what was going on. So I didn't I, I didn't actually physically learn everything. So, so, so we should just preface this with movies. the fact that you are a born again believer, and then uh, and then go from there. Exactly, but I do think that, that when you look at these these movies and, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it began way back in 2008 with this little movie called Iron Man, and it's gone through 21 movies, I believe now, 22 maybe with uh, Endgame. Um, it has made 15 bazillion dollars, I am sure by this point. Um, it has been one of the most remarkable cinematic achievements, I think, in our lifetime, really. Um, yes. but it. it it is surprising to me that these movies they have a little bit of depth to them. I mean, I think I think that most people they go to these movies to be entertained, right? They're yeah. they're very colorful, they're exciting, they're full of CGI. You walk out of there, you feel good, unless you're talking about Infinity War, in which case you feel terrible. Mm. But for or possibly part, also Endgame, depending on your favorite characters. Well, <laughs> that is really true, isn't it? That really is true. We'll get into those spoilers later, I'm <laughs> sure. But, but you know, I always impressed when I when I walk out of some of these movies because they have some depth, and and I think that that a lot of times it, it plugged in. I write a lot for for families and for parents who are taking their kids to these sorts of movies, and 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 sometimes there's some good themes that you can talk about afterwards, um, and I think that that. These Marvel movies, they have some really good messages. They talk a lot about family. They talk a lot about how using your, your weaknesses as strengths. They talk a lot about getting after you failed, you know. I think that they have some really strong messages that, that when you're, you're going in and you're trying to learn how to be a hero yourself, um, they have some good lessons that you can sort of internalize and learn from. They really, really do, and I, I oh, yes, I love that you are here. I love, <laughs> I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was one of those people that, leading up to Endgame, started at the beginning and watched the movies through chronologically just to make Endgame that much better. And it, and it was. Oh, I did too. That, I did too. And it was just like I'd seen them all before. I owned a lot of them, but watching them all through in order in a short amount of time. I think I watched them through in about three and a half weeks. Um, which don't try to figure that out, guys. Just have grace. Um, 
<laughs> it was really incredible to see, especially when you when you condensed it down like that. Not only the story arc, but like you said, the overarching themes of of family, of second chances, and and really what I think Marvel has done successfully that a lot of modern uh, franchises haven't been able to accomplish is that they began sort of in the pre-woke period of our culture, I think, to where mm. now, you know, I'm not so sure where we're going to go from this point forward, um, but at least for this first leading up to Endgame, essentially, we, we kind of are, are in this nice period of we're not talking about a whole lot of political stuff although if you watch civil war during the whole uh well anyway i won't go there um but (laughs) um like i i feel like it we've managed to for the most part you know sort of stay away from a lot of the politics that get into some of hollywood um and that's not that's not obviously across the board and we could find exceptions to that but overall they're just good fun Make you think, yeah. movies, right? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, and I think, I think the one thing that these these movies really point out is that is that a lot of times when you when you look at what true heroism is about, when what doing good is all about, I think it sort of crosses, you know, a lot of lines. You know, I think that that when you're talking about standing up for for the oppressed, or you're talking about fighting evil. Uh, Taking the courageous step, even though it's super, super dangerous, I think that those are those are sort of universal themes that that resonate with us deeply, you know. And I think that 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 any kid who's walking in there and they and they watch a superhero take on Thanos or take on Loki or any of the other tons and tons of bad guys that we see in here, you know, I think that they can see they can sort of extrapolate in their own way. Um, lessons that they can they can internalize in their own lives. You know, I think that especially when you look at someone like Captain America, who's always been, you know, sort of this this truth and justice type of guy who always who always try to stand up for for what he believes. I think that especially when you look at the the earliest uh, movie, you know, Captain America: The First Avenger, you see a lot of really traditional heroism. Mm-hmm. Right is right, no matter what. No matter what anybody else says, and and he has always had sort of that that moral compass. Interestingly enough, when we talk about sort of the um, the complexity, the surprising complexity that you have here, the Captain America story arc. Once it hits into some of the later movies, particularly I'm thinking about he and Iron Man clashing over Civil War. You have a sense that people who are on the same side can disagree about a particular issue yes. and disagree passionately, and yet still be wanting to do what's right. Just because mm-hmm. you disagree doesn't make it. You know, there's, there's. It's what we say in Christian culture all the time. Sometimes, sometimes people of good faith can disagree with each other, and that's okay. Um, that doesn't mean that you have to bow down to another person's point of view. Um, but it doesn't mean that you have to be enemies with them either, you know? And I think that's that's a good lesson to internalize from this, too. It really is. And, and you know, I, I just got to throw this out there for our, our listeners that may be like, wait a second, are you just condoning all of the Marvel movies and everything that happens in them? Obviously not. You know, we're not saying that there are demigods and other gods. It's This is just a fake cinematic universe. So if you're into these movies, we're not saying that you should go and watch Iron Man with your five-year-old or that you shouldn't have filters or, or whatever. Right, we're just right, right. analyzing the movies themselves. And and I think, you know, uh, Iron Man in particular, so he's, he's my favorite hero. And there are many people who uh, 
who have told me that he should not be my favorite hero because of his uh, background, if you will. Um, some of those same people then voted for our current president, but that's another story. So, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Relax. I'm just kidding. Um, so, but, 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 uh, and I, I think that Iron Man is a perfect example, though, of, of sort of what you see across the, the Marvel Universe, right? You have this guy that starts out as selfish, uh, independent, and then if you watch his storyline, where he ends up, and this is where we're going to get into Endgame now, guys, so you may want to turn it off, uh, where he ends up at the end, literally, um, is completely <laughs> different, and you get to watch this transformation if you will uh, in his life and you get to see that it's not about saving the world it's it's about their families and uh, once we get into endgame you know and tony has his little girl and for him then at that point it's about you know i'm not doing this if my family isn't here at the end right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe in a way, I mean, a lot of it is 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 Iron Man's story arc in mm-hmm. a way. And, and what you say is absolutely right. He he was not a particularly good person when we first met no. him. You know, no. he's he's a playboy. He's a womanizer. He drinks. He you know he does all these things that that are really problematic. And and when you look at it from a from a Christian point of view, definitely when you look at at Tony Stark in that period, he's not someone who you'd want to your to point to your kids and say that is who you should be like. Right, uh, Captain America he, obviously fits more of that good guy mold. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But but then you watch and, and to be honest with you, there's there's still elements of, of that throughout the entire MCU, you know, the, mm-hmm. the cinematic universe. And and he is never in terms of being like that traditional truth and justice, Captain America type of hero, he's never that. But I think that's one of the reasons why he resonates with me and resonates with a lot of other people is because in him I think we see a little bit of ourselves. You know, I think that we see the mistakes that we've made in our own lives. We know that we're not perfect, that we struggle, that we sometimes make some terrible, terrible decisions. Um, But I think that being a hero is about trying every day to do a little bit better than we've done the day before. Um, it's It's about trying to move forward trying to become a little bit closer to the, to the person that, that God has always designed us to be. Um, we know we live in a fallen world. We see that fallen world very well in Tony Stark, and yet he's trying to look towards something better. Um, and at the end, in Endgame, he makes an incredibly sacrificial choice, the, the one choice that he didn't want to make, and then in some ways he swore that he wasn't going to make. Mm-hmm. He makes that choice to, to sacrifice himself and save as he does the universe. And I think we've seen that coming, uh, you know, from from Avengers, the, from the Avengers until until now, you know, when he takes the, the uh, missile up into the portal. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've mm-hmm. seen this. As, this wasn't something that we should necessarily be surprised by um, because it's always been there kind of waiting to bloom. And then you really see this just happen in Endgame, you know, we have the restoration of he and, and Captain America, and then you have the whole family storyline, just it, Endgame, just an incredible, incredible culmination of this whole thing. Um, so yeah. Did you find it as satisfying as I did, the, the final chapter? I really did. Now, personally, I'm not going to lie, so I'm sitting in the theater, and uh, again, 
turn off the radio, people, if you don't want to know. Um, I'm sitting in the theater, and uh, I, I can you, you just you know when um, when Doctor Strange looks at him and shakes his head, mm-hmm. and I'm just sitting there going, no, no, because at that moment you're like, oh my goodness, everybody's gonna make it. The writers are gonna surprise us. This is incredible. How did they manage to make it this good and still have everyone live? And then and then <laughs> Doctor Strange shakes his head, and I was literally like inside yelling at the screen kill captain america kill captain america <laughs> because i was like we know one of them is gonna die don't let it be my guy right so then, but then of course that happens but it is you know and and i i thought it was perfect as much as i was absolutely devastated like i i felt horrible all day after i watched the movie to be perfectly honest because i was just like it was like part of especially after watching the whole the whole universe in three weeks leading up to it, it was just like a oh wow look yeah. what look yeah. what he just did but it was perfect and I feel if you watch them through right before you see it too that kind of helps with the whole this was the perfect ending and to me it yeah. was the perfect ending. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it was it was emotionally very satisfying and I, just to just to riff off of what you said a little bit earlier, this is no. We are not making excuses for these movies. You know, I right. was actually raised in a household where I was not allowed to to read superhero comics sure. uh, because you know my parents thought that it would be distracting from um, you know the real heroes that I should have, um, right. and and those would be the spiritual heroes, obviously. And and so because of that, I'm really sensitive to the idea that, that you don't. Parents need to make the the right decision for for them and their families, yes. you know, and and but at the same time, if you look at, at these movies through a Christian point of view, through a Christian lens, I think that you can find you can often find some some surprisingly deep messages within them that that even if the filmmakers didn't intend for them to be there, you can walk out with your with your twelve year old and you can discuss some some really powerful things about this movie um, that reflect on their own lives and on their own faith, quite honestly. Yeah, and I, you know, honestly, I, I think that any good Christian parent, no matter what it is they're going into, whether it's a book, a TV program, a movie, it, I think that any parent can step away from that with some kind of a takeaway um, if they're looking for it. The nice thing about Marvel to me, is that you really, I don't think, have to look that hard. I mean, you have uh, Tony's whole story arc with his his family, his parents, and how that wraps up in Endgame. You have uh, Loki and Thor and that whole dynamic, and is Loki the good guy, the bad guy, all this stuff. Um, you have Ant-Man, his relationship with his daughter, um, Black Panther, the whole extended uh, family. Then you have um, yeah. you know, Hawkeye, yeah. and you, you see Hawkeye bring the Avengers back to his farm, and I think what is one of the most moving scenes in the universe prior to Endgame where it's like this is what it's all about this is this is it and you can see that and that's where you see the Avengers all kind of go oh wow you know this is it Um, so I that's and that's what I love about these movies and you know I think a lot about what you have written is that you don't have to look far to be able to find something to talk about in these movies if that's what you want to do yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. And, and family is all over these movies. It's, it's, it is, if there is one crux beyond saving the world that, that you find in these movies, I think it's a theme of families. And sometimes these families are not perfect. You know, we see that, we see that with Thor and Loki and Odin. I think that you see some really imperfect, hard families to deal with. Um, and again, that was one of the things that resonated with me about Endgame is you have some of these story arcs, these familial story arcs. 
um, come full circle and you find some peace and some goodness within those story arcs. I, I loved the scene with with Tony and his dad just talking yeah. at the base. I thought that was really fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you saw some closure there in, in what had been a pretty difficult relationship. Yeah. So where do you, so you're, you're, you, obviously you've written a book about Batman. So you're the expert here. What, uh, was there anything in Endgame that surprised you that you were like, I didn't see that coming? Ooh. You know what? I got to say, after the first 20 minutes, I thought, well, what are we going to do for the next yes. two hours and 40, you know, yep. because the movie sort of comes, you, you sort of expect that Captain Mar- Marvel is going to be this huge part. She's going to zip in. They're going to uh-huh. do something right away. And it looks like they're going to do something right away. And then all of a sudden they, they confront Thanos on his little personal planet. And it, it's just sort of this anticlimactic, ugh, you know, it's almost mm-hmm. like the balloon lost all of its air. Yep. And you think, Ah, uh, I don't know if I like this movie very much. Yep. <laughs> um, so I think that that was probably the biggest surprise. I also thought Hulk was quite surprising. Yes. I was not quite expecting him <laughs> to sort of meld Bruce Banner and the Hulk in one person. But it made for for some of the movie's funnest moments. I, I loved when he was, you know, walking through the streets of New York and going, ah, ah, trying to be angry, but not really succeeding. Yes, yes. Also, Thor, I, I have to say, I did not see that one coming. <laughs> did not see that coming at all. I was just like, oh, oh, dear. Yeah. Something has, yeah. terrible has clearly happened here. <laughs> Yeah, my my wife was very disappointed in that. I'm not going to ask too many questions on why she was disappointed. <laughs> yes. Uh, so is there anything, did Endgame leave you with any disappointments that you were like, I wish that this had ended differently? Was there anything that you thought was not the perfect ending? You know, I think that there were some, some holes in, sure. in the movie, the, some logistical holes, you know, and whenever you're dealing with time travel, it can get really confusing. Um, Wait, but what? But to be honest with you... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it, it, and it's one of those things where I think that, that... So because of that, I think that it would be easy if you were a critic to, to pick holes in the story. Sure. But for me, when I sat down and watched it, it was, and let's face it, endings are hard. We we mm-hmm. saw that with the cultural uh, brouhaha over the Game of Thrones ending. You know, the, the, it's very difficult to land a very even a very successful franchise well. Um, I think that might be the most remarkable thing about Endgame is that. I watched it, and as a person who's become incredibly invested, you know, I've written so much about these movies. I've I've spent so much time thinking about them and and, and dealing with a lot of the different aspects for them. Um, I, to to sit in that movie theater and watch the the movie unfold as it did, and for me to hit the end credits and say, man. I feel really good about that. That's remarkable in this very critical culture of ours with a lot of people who could have seen it going a lot of different ways for it to feel so emotionally satisfying. It was a remarkable achievement. I mean, I think in some ways, to be honest with you, 
in some ways, I kind of wish that the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe would end yes. right now. Yes. You know, because it feels like we have such a strong um, story arc throughout these these 20-plus movies. To end it right where it did, I think that would be the perfect conclusion. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I just... I, I'm a little bit dreading seeing the new Spider-Man movie yeah. in a way. I, I, yep. I, just because I thought that it ended so well. No, I completely agree. I think that the, the masterfulness of Endgame was that it really just tied everything up with a ribbon so that if you never saw another Marvel movie again, you you have a masterpiece. I think the greatest production mm. of our lives and the fact that we've been able to experience this for the past, you know, however many years it's been, 10, 11, 12 years, um... It's just remarkable. Yeah, I think that people will look back on this saga and it will be the Star Wars of, you know, 50, 100 yeah. years from now. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think that the people who who bemoan superhero movies, I kind of, I, I understand where they're coming from. Sure, But when yes. you look at them for what they are, I don't know if we've seen... Uh, a greater cinematic achievement in, in our lifetime. I totally agree with you. Yeah. And again, this isn't to say that we're endorsing necessarily or saying that right. you and your family should go out and get the entire series or anything like that. But what we are trying to say is that, uh, you know, if you have the filters, if you watch these before your children, make sure that they're appropriate for your family. But if, you know, if you're looking for entertainment that you can use to, to build into and to speak into, uh, culture but also the character development of your child these aren't the worst movies to do that right so like aside from unless you take a movie like fireproof you're not going to find a good quality action flick most times that's going to be as family friendly not that they're completely family friendly but it's hard to find quality uh, of this level i think and and to end to end the way it did and you can literally say greater love there's no greater love than that would just happen right there um, I, and to yeah. have it be that powerful, I don't think we see a lot in modern movies. No, I totally agree. And and, and just to riff off that a little bit, um, one thing as a parent, the key thing is to always talk about these movies with your children. Yeah. You know, I think that, that sometimes and, we and often... If, honestly, if you're not, their friends are talking to them about it, so it might as well be it, you That's exactly about. right. That's exactly right. I think that that as influential as media, as influential as entertainment is, moms and dads are still the most influential part of a, of a child's life. And so when you're able to enjoy a movie like this together, when you're able to watch it together and process some of what you see on screen, and then take the extra step to go out for pie afterwards and talk about it, to really discuss some of the themes, what was good, what might rub against your own worldview, um, all these things, those, it, the, the learning really comes in the conversation afterwards. And uh, I think that's one of the things that makes these these Marvel movies so rich is that there's a lot to talk about. There really is. And, you know, I I don't want to over-spiritualize this or have people be like, "Uh, you're stretching. But if we look at how even Jesus taught, he was taking things that were common, things that were culturally uh, relevant at the time, and then creating a, a conversation around that. And so I think, you know, as we have things like this that are just this huge cultural phenom, and I'm not saying that you need to embrace every cultural phenomena and have that be part of your family conversation, but when it is something that you believe is appropriate for your family, I think it's important that you have that conversation, that you use that tool to build character and to build uh, Christian virtue into your children's lives. Amen. 
All right. So one last question. I'll let you go. Where where do you see us, where, where do you see us going from here? I mean, obviously Spider Man comes out soon. Um, I'm expecting there's going to be some sort of hologram of Tony or something's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work, but I'm expecting that he'll be back in one way or another. Um, it depends on how much money they need to pay him to come back. Right, you right. Know, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. I know that they've worked, they've worked very hard at creating new heroes and 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 creating new opportunities for for future stories. And as as any comic book nerd knows, these stories go on. There are so many heroes, so many people who you could talk about. Um, it's bound to get. I think a little more convoluted. Um, you're going to have some some geekier storylines. Um, you're going to have some less familiar people who are going to to start to to um, watch and listen to. Um, and that might be a harder sell than what's come before. I think that there mm-hmm. might be a lot of people who feel as we did that that Endgame might just be the perfect ending. Yeah. But at the same time. Iron Man was not exactly a well-known superhero when they started this journey. And that is so true. I'll, I will be interested to see um, whatever they've done right and wrong with this series. I think that they've managed to create some, some pretty good stories and, and hire some pretty good storytellers that have kept us engaged. So I will be curious, uh, anxiously curious, I guess you would say, um, to see what comes next. And we'll be assuming that you will be uh, doing the plugged-in review for Spider-Man uh, sometime here soon. We will definitely be doing a review. I, I don't know if I'll be assigned to it, but chances are what? I probably will. <laughs> okay, I know, so, I know. They can't take it away from me now. So once you once you get to go to that early screening, all right, so you can just, don't tell anyone, this will just be our secret, but you can just FaceTime me in there and it'll be fine. <laughs> Just, just let you know. Just, just go. Just keep thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. All right. I got it. I got it. We'll do that. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Paul. It's AC. Paul AC. A S A Y Paul on Twitter. You can go follow him for more encouraging, uplifting cultural commentary. You know, I'm just saying it's it's fun to talk about, and everybody else is. So why shouldn't we? Thanks so much, Paul. It's been great having you with us. I really appreciate it. And we will see you back. Fantastic being with you. Uh, Fantastic. Oh, yeah. We will have you back sometime soon to talk uh, maybe about Spider-Man. We'll see. Um, Keep listening. This is KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas.